As a quick disclosure, this episode will deal with frank, candid, and open discussions regarding both the anatomy and the function of the female clitoris in the female sexual response. So listening to this episode in mixed company should be reconsidered. The word clitoris comes from the Greek word clitoris, which means the little hill. In 1559, the clitoris was, quote, formally discovered, end quote, by anatomist Reynaldus Columbus, who called it the love of Venus and concluded that its primary function was strictly for pleasure. I love how the medical archives say it was formally discovered, like it was undiscovered before that. (laughs) Now, it's quite shocking to believe, although it's true that the first anatomical paper on the clitoris was published only in 1998 and its anatomy using MRI only fully described in 2005. This lack of scientific attention until recently to both the anatomical structure and true functioning of the clitoris is equally shameful as it is shocking. It's no wonder that vast misunderstandings of such a vital structure for female sexual well-being persist even today. In this episode, we're going to review an eye-opening and very disappointing recent publication that came out on October the 15th, 2023 in the Australian and New Zealand Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. How well do we truly understand clitoral anatomy? Well, apparently not well at all. As women's healthcare providers, we must realize that the results of that study are not only disappointing, but that we must also do more to advocate for and to help educate not only healthcare providers, but patients about that vital little structure called that little bean. How is our understanding of the clitoris related to Napoleon Bonaparte and to Sigmund Freud? And how is the clitoris vaginal distance related to female orgasm? Well, we're going to talk about all of this, including the true wishbone shape of the clitoris in this episode. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. This is Clinical Pearls. All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi, 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm going to leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at tmobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. My, my, my. We're going to go over some things in this episode that really when you take a look at and, and step back from and take a look objectively, you're like, did we not know this before? How, how, it's, how did this escape? like decades of scientific study and anatomic dissection. It's weird. And and no wonder there's all of this still misperceptions about female sexual response um, and, and lack of attention towards female sexual dysfunctions. Because 
man, I mean, we're not making a lot of progress here. Now, let me be very clear. We've come a long way, for sure. I mean, Hippocrates first called this thing the shameful parts uh, about the female external genitalia. Yeah, the shameful parts. Really, that's in the Hippocratic writings. Man, thanks, Hippocrates. That's the father of medicine, right? Uh, I mean, norms have changed, and we've got to be comfortable. As I've said this many times before, we've got to be comfortable talking to our patients using medical terms and asking, hey, how's your orgasms? I mean, what's going on with that? Do you have clitoral orgasms? Are they vaginal? Are they anal? What, 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 what's going on? I mean, how's your sexual life? You got to be able to talk about that in a non-creepy way. Okay, because that's all part of women's sexual uh, care and well-being. Sexual intimacy is a huge part of relationships, and we can't ignore that and keep that in the dark. Now, having said that, how is it that a paper that was just published in October of 2023, that's last month, who, where, where medical students, uh, healthcare professionals in women's health, and even uh, professional midwives... Uh, couldn't figure out what they were looking at with a 3D model of the clitoris. What? I'm going to get into this in a minute, all right? Because super shocking. And we're still learning stuff about the female sexual response as a response to anatomy. Now, before we get into all of this, let me just preface what we already know. The female sexual response is super complicated. Men, I mean, let's just be honest, for men, it's pretty easy. I mean, unless there's some uh, organic issue or, or true pathology or, or, or deep depression, uh, pretty much in, in general, I'm just saying in general, I mean, you know, a woman can pretty much get naked and, you know, it, something's going to happen with the dude. Let me just be honest, right? Because men are just built differently. Uh, and it's not so much emotional and mental for the man as much even though there is a component of that, of course, uh, it's much more physical response to the male uh, than it is for the female because there's sexual relationships, there's feelings of respect. That's why the Basan model is more circular than just linear like for men. Men is, oh, I'm in the mood, super horny, let's get it on, I'm done, let's watch TV. That's the men response, which tends to be more more linear um, for some. It's more circular, but... It's just in traditional, it's it's that linear response that Masters and Johnson stated. But for women, we know it's not the case. Much more circular, much more involved with much more emotional and psychological component. All right. So we, we've made a lot of progress. We know that. But there's still big strides that we're making, like the whole idea of the clitoral urethral vaginal complex uh, and even some of the anatomical terms are wrong. Like we always called it the greater vestibular bulbs. That has nothing to do with the labia majora. That's part of the clitoris. We're going to talk about all this in this episode, right? We're going to talk about the anatomy, how, how to describe it to our patients because it is wishbone shaped. And we've got to be able to know what, what the proper terms are. Uh, and we're going to talk about how, when a woman says, hey, nothing's going on down there uh, with penetration and it's just not happening. Well, then you can talk to them. Well, can, we can do an exam and barring some kind of psychological issue or other chronic medical condition. If you're not having uh, orgasm with vaginal penetration, it could be potentially have to do with an anatomical issue that's not really your fault. It's how you're born called the distance between the clitoris and the vagina. 
All right, so if I remember, I put a note here for me. I do want to review that information about the clitorovaginal distance because that stuff was talked about in the 1990s and then found a, a new light with, with new investigators with the most recent publication of this um, coming out, honestly, in December 2023. Yeah, this hasn't even come out yet. This was out as an EPUB in March 2023. But in the Archives of Gynecology and Obstetrics, coming out next month, December 2023, there's a wonderful article that that discusses why some women possibly, uh, this helps to explain why some women cannot have a vaginal penetration orgasm alone. They need clitoral stimulation, whereas others can have vaginal penetration uh, orgasm with uh, or without clitoral stimulation, it has to do with the distance between the clitoris and the vagina, all right? Because um, here's a catch, guys. Even though we're going to go through all of the anatomy, here's here's a big clinical pearl. We, we For so many years, for decades, we considered these structures to be separate, right? There's the vagina, and then there's the urethra, and then way up on top is the clitoris, and, and they shall not meet, right? Those are boats in the night that are missing each other. The truth is, is that the clitoris urethrovaginal complex, the distal part of the upper vagina, uh, are all interrelated, both by connective tissue and nerve supply. What? So that's why this whole thing of the clitoral urethrovaginal complex, the CUV complex, uh, is a brand new thing in gynecology and in women's health, all right? So before it was, oh, you just can't have vaginal penetration. Well, it's just not you, you know, just, hey, not, to put, give the clitoris some love and you'll be fine. And that's just the way that you're built, right? Now, as always, there's some truth to that, to what we don't understand. We, we, we put a little bit of truth and then we try to explain it with some wackiness. And there is some truth to that. You can't change the distance from the clitoris to the vagina yourself uh, outside of some kind of weird surgery, which we'll talk about in a minute because somebody has tried that historically and definitely don't recommend that. But, uh, but yes, people have tried to, to look at uh, changing the distance between the urethra and the vagina. Uh, obviously uh, not advised. But but here's the clinical pearl. There is a direct relationship between that distance between the clitoris and the vagina and the ability to have vaginal penetrative orgasm alone so that the shorter the distance, in other words, the, the closer the connection of that clitoro-urethro-vaginal complex, the more the vagina anterior wall uh, can put pressure up on, underneath the urethra, which pushes up against the clitoris, a shorter clitoral vaginal distance uh, is directly related to the ability to have a vaginal penetrative orgasm alone, all right? Whereas the longer the distance makes penetrative uh, orgasmic ab ability by the woman less likely uh, because only clitoral stimulation, okay? So this also, guys, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but this also, this clitorourethrovaginal complex also lead, leads some credence, not all credence, but some credence to the idea of the G-spot, all right? Now, I'm not nuts. Please don't tell me, Choppa, look, the G-spot doesn't exist. I get that. There's no true anatomical area that you can dissect out and go, ah, here clearly is a nerve uh, complex or different epithelium, 
uh, called the G-spot. I know that. that. That is anatomically very hard to prove. But what, is, what has been known, what led to this idea? What did Dr. Grafenberg consider to be the G-spot? It was a, a point about midway into the vagina or at least a, a third into the vagina from the introitus on the anterior wall, not the posterior wall of the sides, the anterior wall, where with constant pressure could lead to, uh, to orgasm and or urethral secretions. Well, before we're like, ah, I get that. It's not a thing. It's hard to prove. Maybe, maybe not. But now this data of the clitoral urethral vaginal complex explains why. Because that anterior wall of the vagina and that outer distal part of the vagina on the anterior compartment uh, that abuts the urethra and the clitoris are all intimately tied together as one complex. So that's a clinical pearl. So many times, even in gross anatomy in medical school, we're learned that the vagina is a tube and that's really it. And the urethra just takes urine and the clitoris, uh, you know, is up north uh, and it's just there, you know, by itself. No, no, no. They are all intimately related. That's why the new term is the clitoral urethral vaginal complex. As a quick reference, this article coming out in December next month, 2023, in Archives of Gynecology and Obstetrics, the title is The Relationship Between Clitoral Urethral Vaginal Complex and Female Orgasm. Well, I've gotten way ahead of myself, all right? Let's just remind everybody that the focus of this episode is the disappointing results of when healthcare providers were given basically a little 3D model of the clitoris are like, name this thing. They're like, uh, uh, this, the tip is the glands, and then it all fell apart from that. Wow. Now, again, I'm, I'm going to go through that study in a minute. Uh, and I, my focus wasn't supposed to be the clitoral urethral vaginal complex, but I think we have to talk about that. Now, we'll get into that in a minute. So I may extend, you know, the focus of this to include that info because it really is just so mind-blowing that even the anatomy terms that we've been using were incorrect. I learned in anatomy the greater vestibular bulbs, right? The, the two little spongy, fatty tissue underneath the labia minora that abuts the majora, that that swell with sexual excitement, right? Because that's what the labia does. They get warm, they get uh, puffy, they get transudative fluid. Um, and we thought, well, that's totally separate from the clitoris. We now know that those are called clitoral bulbs because they are indeed part of the clitoral complex. So it's just crazy. Well, how do we not know this before? So speaking of that, I just want to briefly, you guys know I like my history. This is worth it. Trust me because it's so freaky. Yep, it's super worth it. And I just have to go over it because even though Hippocrates tried to explain some of this, calling it the shameful parts, honestly, as the decades and centuries progressed, we made a little bit of little inch of progress as we went, all right? And it's sad that it wasn't until like super recently, like the last, within the last 25 years, that we finally figured this thing out and went, oh, the clitoris isn't just a little bean structure at the top, like a little button. There's actually more to it, <laughs> uh, you think? Crazy. As women's healthcare providers, that should just make you nuts. And again, it's shameful that that it hasn't gotten the attention that it that it needed um, for a variety of reasons, all right? But nonetheless, um, after Hippocrates called it the shameful parts, let's go forward now to to a great uh, anatomical dissector and a in a uh, 
philosopher and and medical teacher named Serranos of Ephesus. If you know medical history, I just this this, this stuff is so intriguing. These early you know Greek physicians uh, who tried their best to try to explain disease and anatomical structure. Well, there was a thesis that was put out by uh, Serranos of of Ephesus, who was a leader in the school of thought called the methodological thought of of training, which was, hey, rather than, you know, putting out their weird myths and theories, let's actually t- make, give, give it a scientific method of discovery. Well, anyway, so his description of the female uh, external genitalia was surprisingly precise. I mean, he said, hey, there's this little structure in the top called, you know, the clitoris, and it's got a little, it's on a stem uh, called the body, and, and that's great. But then things just went south after that, because even though he described the labia minora and the majority in great detail, he attributed that function to really weird, kind of wacky stuff. So, yeah, so nice, but not so much. And that was uh, Serranos of Ephesus. And from there, really until present day, I mean, there's been little glimpses of data uh, and, and information that have, have peppered uh, the landscape. But what I found so interesting, especially as we talk about what's now validated as the clitoral-vaginal distance, uh, how weird is this? It took a woman, not an anatomist, just an inquisitive woman, very comfortable with her sexuality in a time when it was very taboo, who was both related to Napoleon Bonaparte and Sigmund Freud, who, because of her own sexual frustration with not being able to have fulfilling sexual uh, orgasms with penetration. She could have clitoral orgasms, no problem there. And she was very open in these writings. Hey, when I go to town by myself, it, I mean, it's, it's on, on. I got no problem with that, with the clitoris. Uh, but vaginal penetration, either self-penetration or with her partner, she was very frustrated that nothing was happening. So she sought to investigate, and she was the one who thought, hey, if I rub the clitoris, uh, the the lights are flickering, things are going on here, but in the vagina, nothing is happening. So there must be some interplay here, uh, or lack of interplay between the vagina and the clitoris. What? Are you kidding? Now, remember what's coming out next month, December 2023. And remember what this woman, uh, this non-physician was trying to, to elucidate even back then. And you know what? She was completely right. That We're talking about Princess Marie Bonaparte. And if your first thing, first question is, wait, her name was Princess? No, no, no. She was a princess. <laughs> she was married to Prince George of Denmark and Greece. Now, she married George in 1906, okay? So she was a real princess, and here's the relationship between Napoleon and Freud. Now, just to give you the reference for this, now there's plenty of pieces of literature and historical medical texts that describe her contribution to uh, female anatomy and the female sexual response. Um, I'm not making this up because it's it's almost like that didn't happen, but but it really did and what she fought for and what she had done to herself is is mind-blowing i'm telling you you're not going to see this coming all right but this was actually a very well uh, documented and explained and i've read many many uh, uh, uh bi- biopics and narratives on her life 
But this one I found very concise and, and very current because this just came out in May of 2022 in the journal Urology. Okay, The title of this biopic, this little narrative on, on her contribution, uh, is called The Anatomy of Female Sexual Arousal. Princess Marie Bonaparte, the Halban Narjari procedure, and the art of Constantine um, Barcusi. Now, I'm not going to get into that part so much because that's a whole other issue. But uh, this review really does give her credit uh, to Princess Marie Bonaparte for the work that she was so committed to, even the work that she had done to herself to try to uh, to to figure out the the functioning and the working of of the vaginal orgasmic response. This woman was the great grandniece of Napoleon Bonaparte. How about that? So totally in the bloodline of Napoleon. She dedicated her career and most of her study to the female orgasmic response. Now, here's the relationship to Sigmund Freud. Although she was a psychoanalyst in her own right, she ended up collaborating with Sigmund Freud both as part patient and and part colleague to try to figure out what was going on. This was anatomical or a psychological issue that affected uh, the female sexual response. Now, let's drop there for a minute. Remember that Freud was like in the early, um, you know, 1900s, 1930s, all right? Think about that as a woman talking about female sexual response. Now, she was so committed to this. Listen to this, guys. This is, this is absolutely true because she was so frustrated that she couldn't feel vaginal orgasm. And she knew it had something to do with the distance because what she measured in herself, that distance between the va- vagina and the clitoris was, was um, larger than it was in, in other women, which we now know is just a normal variant. But she was committed to see if lowering that distance and bringing the clitoris lower down uh, could produce a, a vaginal penetrative orgasm. Now, no one in their right mind would do this, right? Well, well, she did. I mean, this is actually a procedure. It's a urogynecological procedure called the Hauben Narjani procedure. Uh, that's where the clitoris is actually removed and relocated uh, more proximal to the introitus to try to produce a vaginal uh, penetrative orgasm. Uh, and of course, and she did that in some in some accounts, she did that once and others she had it repeated or revised up to three times. Are, are you kidding me, guys? Up to three times. That's how that's commitment to research. Of course, it proved unsuccessful. Why? Not because the shorter the distance would work because we know that it does work. That's the whole definition and the contribution of a short uh, clitoral urethral vaginal distance compared to a longer one. But it probably didn't work with her because she had scar tissue uh, and she had some denervation from her repeat procedures. So let's just stop there for a minute and, and just honestly give her some credit that this woman, Princess Marie Bonaparte, uh, how committed she was to try to see if it, uh, using herself as her own subject to see if extreme urogynecological uh, procedure called the Halben Narjani procedure could help give her sexual satisfaction. Uh, hard pressed to say there's much researchers who would have that kind of dedication today. That's amazing. Wow. I didn't see that coming. That's dedication. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So before we get into this new publication that came out in October, um, it's hard to believe that it wasn't until 1998, June of 1998 to be exact, in the journal Urology that we've already discussed for that uh, other publication piece, where really our, our understanding of the anatomical relationship of the clitoris to the rest of the uh, female external uh, genitalia uh, really came center light, all right? This publication was by O'Connell, and the title was Anatomical Relationship Between Urethra and Clitoris. Now, before I get into this explanation that really was the first one to uh, anatomically, in, in true dissection model, give us the the representation, the, the image of the wishbone anatomy, uh, my question to you is, why was this in 1998? I mean, it wasn't in the 70s. I mean, it wasn't in the 80s. I mean, you had Masters and Johnsons, all that pivotal uh, sexual response uh, uh, studies that were done back in the day. Um, and even then, we understood the clitoris as just kind of, you know, north of the urethra. Uh, it kind of sits there. It's kind of the male, you know, the analogous of, of the heads of the glands of the penis. Uh, we knew it was erectile. But but really, it was like, I don't know, just kind of, just kind of hanging there, right? Like a little uvula. Um, and that's what historically some had described it as. Oh, it's the external genitalia, uh, the uvula, which is very sensitive to touch, yeah, I think. Um, but it really wasn't until 1998 where a combination of fresh and fixed human dissection um, and really taking time to preserve the nerves and take a look and follow you know, the, the, the crux, the feet of the clitoris and its, and its bulbs – that really shed light on this thing because there they're like, hey, um, we've been calling these things like the vestibular bulbs, like they were separate uh, spongy tissue underneath uh, the, the labia minora, right, that, that cradle the introitus. Well, those are actually part of the clitoris. Uh, and the clitoris isn't just this little stick, this little uh, peanut-looking thing, this little bean at the top of, 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 the, uh, the, of the urethra. Where the labia minora kind of you know come and meet uh, at the top of the vestibule, but they actually have feet. Yeah, and like, yeah, this thing extends uh, underneath the pubic rami. That's called the the crucis, the the feet of of the clitoris. And so this really was the first depiction of this wishbone style uh, anatomy, where you have the glands, you have the body. You have the two ala or the two crux or the two feet that really hug the inferior pubic ramus. And then you have the medial uh, erectile tissue, which are called the clitoral bulbs, not the vestibular bulbs, the clitoral bulbs, because that's part of the same complex. And they're intimately related. 
So that's why some women uh, with vaginal penetration or digital pe- uh, penetration of the introitus, just putting a little bit of pressure up and down the vaginal walls uh, right past the introitus laterally, um, is very stimulating because they're actually touching the distal bulbs of the clitoris. So, I mean, do you guys see how, how different this was, right? This is 1998, and they're saying, hey, um, these things are not separate. Um, the urethra, the anterior uh, vagina, and the clitoris are all one complex. Wow. And it wasn't until 1998, guys. I don't know about you, but as a women's healthcare provider, I find that extremely fascinating and disappointing that we've just known this crazy so just to be clear again this was in the journal of urology 1998 anatomical dissection using fresh and fixed human female adult cadavers anywhere from age 22 to 88 and they found that there was an intimate connection between the clitoris the urethra and that anterior external uh, vaginal entrance, all because of the bulbs of the clitoris. So we've been calling the vestibular glands are not vestibular at all. They're actually part of the clitoris. They are direct components, both in nerve supply and in vasculature, and that they are not separate entities, all right? So let me read you the exact results here, okay? Quote, the female urethra, the distal vaginal wall, and erectile tissue are all packed into the perineum underneath the pubic arch, which is bounded laterally by the ischiopubic rami and superficially by the labia minora and the majora. This complex is not flat against the rami as is commonly depicted in schematics, but it projects from the bony landmark for three to six centimeters. The perineal urethra is actually embedded in the anterior vaginal wall through its connective tissue surroundings and is part of the erectile complex. The bulbs of the vestibule are inappropriately named as they are directly in relationship to the other clitoral components and the urethra, end quote. So there you go, guys. So let's stop teaching and telling patients that the vagina is just a tube, right? That's where the baby comes out, where you have sex, like you put things in and out. It's like a, like a conduit. No, no, no. It is intimately tied to sexual uh, well-being, especially in the outer uh, uh, distal third and the anterior vaginal wall, because that has intimate connections to the uh, urethra and to the to the clitoris, and that distance between the introitus and the clitoris is directly related to the ability to have vaginal orgasmic experience. All right. Now, um, I, yeah, don't tell people that you can actually try to move the clitoris down. That's just not advised, but there is a historic procedure that we discussed earlier. But the point is, this all makes sense, right? So remember how we said at the beginning that Dr. Grafenberg discussed something on the anterior vaginal wall? Well, there you go. This was without the anatomical dissection that we have now, that yeah, there is something to it, not a distinct anatomical site, but a direct relationship as part of that unit. So that when there is anterior vaginal wall pressure applied, either in a stroking format or by direct pressure, it's actually putting pressure onto the urethra, which gives that urethral secretions that some have considered or called a female ejaculate, which is actually expressions of the skein's glands, all right, in the periurethral glands. Uh, and, and that pushes up pressure 
onto the clitoral body itself, not just the glands, but to the body, which is highly erectile, right? So yes, putting pressure on the anterior vagina, which is the same reason why some women have uh, anal orgasm. It's not that the anus is uh, necessarily more pleasurable, even though the outer anal ring definitely has some pleasurable sensation, but that with the deep penetration, it's actually putting pressure on what? On the anterior vaginal wall, which is then being transmitted to the clitoris crazy. So all of this is well uh, documented. All of this is well published through patient surveys, uh, through the Journal of Sexual Health. All to say, we can we have to stop thinking that the clitoris, urethra, and vagina are all separate because at least in part, at least as they relate to the uh, external genital, uh, uh, genitalia, they all have an intimate relationship and an intimate role. This understanding of the complex and interrelated anatomy uh, between the clitoris, the urethra, and the vagina, especially the anterior wall, was further elucidated in a follow-up study, again in the journal Urology, in 2005. And same person, this was O'Connell, and now this time with, um, with John DeLancey. Uh, yeah, like in DeLancey levels of support. I mean, these are big folks, right, in the area of female uh, genital health and pelvic health. The title of this publication was Clitoral Anatomy in Nulliparis Healthy Premenopausal Volunteers Using Non-Enhanced Magnetic Resonance Imaging. So Dr. Um, O'Connell and Delancey did MRIs on 10 healthy nullips, right? These are all volunteers, no previous surgery. They had normal pelvic examinations to try to figure out um, what this looked like in in vivo uh, subjects, right? Remember that the O'Connell uh, 1998 piece was on cadavers, right? So the course of the rebuttal was, well, that's on dead people. I mean, that's anatomy can be validated, even though some of those studies, some of those dissections were fresh cadavers, right? Um, so great. Hey, let's get let's get live people that are relatively, quote, quote, normal, right? Uh, and see what this looks like. And sure enough, I mean, it's amazing that you could actually see this detailed anatomical construct that has now been replicated in 3D models called the wishbone design, all right? Amazing, all to say that the glands, the body, the alley, aka the, the crucis, the crux, right, uh, and the bulbs uh, definitely were all considered to be one kind of unit of erectile tissue cluster, all right? So uh, just thinking about the clitoris as just a little peanut, just a little, the little magic bean at the top, uh, is totally wrong. So when we describe to patients, oh, clitoral stimulation, well, what we're really trying to say is gland stimulation. But most of the stimulation and, and sexual response isn't even from that. It's from the body. That's the true erectile response. Yes, the, the head of the clitoris is super sensitive. Absolutely true. Like 8,000 nerve endings. Super sensitive. But it's not in isolation. That sensation is also transmitted equally to the body, which is its little stalk. Uh, and then to the the surrounding bulbs that are erectile as well and super sensitive, all right? Uh, which is why some women have orgasm not even with vaginal penetration or direct clitoral stimulation, but just vulvar stimulation and vulvar pressure, uh, aka grinding movements, all right? So how wild is this? So we're talking about 2005. Guys, it's, it's 2023 right now. 
So in less than 20 years, I mean, we've just figured this thing out. Ugh, so frustrating as a women's healthcare provider. No wonder women stay in the dark with this stuff. It's just not talked about. That's why we're doing this as an episode because um, we've got to put it out there. We've got to educate women that it's not just about the little the little tip of the clitoris. It's the entire complex, including uh, pressure on the anterior vagina, the, the, the outer side walls of the vagina where the bulbs are, and understanding true anatomy. Before we get into this new publication that came out regarding the ability of healthcare professionals to appropriately label parts of the clitoris on an anatomical, you know, 3D model, just let me give you some quick stats of what women have responded to on surveys. These are all published. One of these came out in 2017 um, in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy regarding uh, orgasmic frequency, okay? Because it really is very eye-opening when you see these numbers. Um, and they're going to go over the normal parts of clitoral anatomy, how, how this actually should be described to a patient. Um, and then we're going to get into that, that study as we wrap things up, okay? But according to this publication that came out in August of 2017, again, in the Journal of Sex and Medical Therapy, uh, the title is Women's Experiences with Genital Touching, Sexual Pleasure, and Orgasm Results from a U.S. Probability Sample of Women, Ages 18 to 94. Listen to these some of these surprising statistics. At least they were surprising to me. Uh, first, 81.6% of women don't orgasm from intercourse alone, meaning penetration, without additional uh, clitoral stimulation. 81.6% do not orgasm from intercourse alone, meaning they need clitoral, additional clitoral stimulation. Only 18.4% of women reported that intercourse alone was sufficient uh, to achieve orgasm. Okay. Now, in another publication that came out in the Journal of Sexual Medicine, um, this publication stated, again, some pretty eye-opening stats that in general, women with partnered intercourse, right, women with partnered intercourse were able to achieve orgasm during sexual intimacy on an average of 14 minutes. However, they were able to achieve orgasm within eight minutes during masturbation. Hmm. So again, so if you can get to it faster by yourself, it takes longer with a partner. Maybe the partner is not well-versed in what is their pleasure in, in what is uh, um, pleasurable for, for uh, the recipient. Uh, and this is why we have this disconnect, all right? So again, in the Journal of uh, Sexual Medicine that was published uh, in the past, th- this survey found that 14 minutes was the average time for women to re- achieve orgasm during partnered sex, but it only took eight minutes during masturbation. All right, you all, listen to this. Uh, I don't know if this is heartbreaking, shocking, or not surprising. <laughs> Because it fits all of those uh, criteria. This was published in 2019 uh, in the journal Archives of Sexual Behavior, right? The title is Women's Sexual Satisfaction, Communication, and Reasons for Faking Orgasm. This was, again, a U.S. probability sample. Yep. There's a study for everything. This was published September of 2019. And what they found was 59% of women have faked an orgasm, 59%. Actually, I thought it'd be much higher. So <laughs> 59%, it is what it is. It just reminds me of that scene from uh, when Harry met Sally. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the restaurant scene, yeah, pretty classic. Yes, yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. 
Yes! 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 Oh! 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 Oh, God. Oh. I'll have what she's having. There really is a great review of the entire anatomy of the clitoris, not just the glands and the body of the clitoris uh, that are most familiar to everyone. That's coming out in Archives of Gynecology and Obstetrics, the, the article that we've already discussed or mentioned previous. Um, that's coming out December of 2023. That actually came out ahead of print in March of 2023, but officially will be out next month. And the title is The Relationship Between the Clitorurethrovaginal Complex and the Female Orgasm. What's most obvious to everyone is the clitoral glands, right? The little head of the clitoris, which corresponds, of course, to the head of the penis. And and this is incredibly sensitive. And this area, uh, which is, again, most familiar to everyone, is actually not erectile tissue in and of itself, okay? But during sexual excitation, the fibers of the dorsal clitoris compress the dorsal clitoral vein, and that leads to the erectile tissue becoming engorged of the clitoral body as well as the clitoral bulbs getting congested with blood, all right? So what you see, of course, let's do the anatomy starting with the little head of the clitoris called the glands, and then what's hidden underneath the rest of the clitoral hood is, of course, the clitoral body or the stalk, okay? Now, that actually is the descending part of the entire clitoral body. So uh, if you think in your mind, right, so you've got the urethra right on top of the urethra, you've got the clitoris, that's the glands, and then if you retract back the little hood, you've got the uh, you've got the, the body. That's called the descending part because it's dangling down uh, from the suspensory ligament of the clitoris that actually anchors the clitoris at, at the bend. So as the, the body, the descending part actually bends back upon itself like a straw folded up uh, a, a, along itself, it is held in place by that ligament that is right at the symphysis pubis, all right? So you have the, the glands, you have the little shaft, which is underneath the the, fort, the, uh, the hood of the clitoris. Sorry, I lost my words there, the hood of the clitoris. And then it bends back on itself uh, where the bend uh, occurs because of the ligament that's attaching the clitoral body to the pubic symphysis, all right? So you have the glands, you have the descending part, which is dangling the, the glands down towards the opening, and then you actually have the ascending part of the body. So remember, guys, like a straw with a little bendy tip, <clears throat> you have the, the part behind the tissue that connects between the urethra and the clitoris. That actually is the ascending part of the clitoral body. Of course, that's uh, under mucosa, so you can't see it. But then it hits that suspensory ligament of the clitoris. And then you have the descending part, which is the bend in the neck of the straw, uh, ending, of course, in the glands. Everybody see that, right? Glands, little descending part. You have the, the little hammock. That's the sling. And then behind that, you have the ascending part of the clit clitoral shaft, all right? That ascending part of the clitoral shaft is actually analogous to portions of the corpus cavernosum in the male. So that actually can become erectile. And that, when that gets congested with blood, along with the descending part of the clitoral body, that's what causes elongation of the clitoris. So it's not the glands itself, okay? So all of that is the glands descending 
ligamentous portion, and then the ascending part of the clitoral body. From that, then you have the crux or the two feet of the clitoris that come out in a V shape and are actually a part or right underneath the pubic arch. Okay, and these are actually interconnected with an a, another V that's more medial that surrounds the vaginal entrance and surrounds or is underneath the labia majora slash minora. Okay, those are the clitoral bulbs. Now, historically, those bulbs were called the vestibular bulbs. We actually know that is part of the clitoris itself. Okay, so let's start at the glands. That's the glands. And then we have the descending part that's held in place by the ligament. Then we have the ascending part that breaks up into two V's. The outer V, which is called the crux or the feet or the root of the clitoris. All pretty much the same thing. And then a, a fatter, uh, more uh, spongy portion of the clitoris, which is medial and hugs the vaginal uh, introitus, which is called the clitoral bulbs. Those also are spongy and they are also uh, um, erectile tissue. That's why the labia get uh, more full uh, and they get warm. Sometimes they have a more pinker uh, hue uh, because of the blood flow that goes there. That's all part of the clitoris. So you see the clitoris itself is not just a little visible part underneath the clitoral hood. It's all of that, kind of like a wishbone. Okay, so this brings us to our current focus. This was what we were supposed to be talking about to begin with, but I couldn't help myself. I had to go through all the rest of that history and the rest of that data because it really hits home. Like, man, there's so much to it. And we didn't know this until 1998, 2005. Shame, shame. I mean, that's terrible. Oh, my goodness. No wonder 59% of women had to fake it. I mean, this is just miserable for sexual wellness and sexual health. And again, part of this a podcast, the reason of this of doing this, and I'll only tell you what's coming out in print, um, but also to get us all more comfortable with talking. It's okay to say clitoris and orgasm and vagina. This publication came out of the Australian and New Zealand Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, the title is How Well Do We Truly Understand Clitoral Anatomy? An Irish Maternity Hospital's Perspective. So even though the journal, which is ANZOG, is from Australia and in New Zealand, this actual study came from uh, from Dublin, from an Irish maternity hospital. Great stuff in, in Dublin, Ireland. I've been there many times. It's beautiful and uh, uh, Cork Maternity Hospital is just a, a, a historic place. A lot of data historically came out of, of that maternal, uh, maternal award and institution. Uh, anyway, this was a, a not a huge study, but it still made the point that men were lacking education here. All right. So they took 50 women's health care providers. All right. Different degrees of training. All women's health. So this is not pathologists. They're not internal medicine. They're not psychiatry where we would go, well, they don't do women's health. You know, we'll look the other way. No, no, no. These were all related to maternal health. 50 people, different levels of training. I'll tell you the breakdown in a minute. And it was super easy. Hey, here's a little 3D model of a clitoris. Uh, name the anatomical parts like we just went through right now. All right. That's super easy. Name the parts. How easy is that? Oh, my goodness. This was a fail. All right. Fail. And men and women, let me give you the study, the specifics, because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed for them and I'm embarrassed for us. Oh, and this wasn't like, hey, you've got three minutes to do it. Yeah, they were given 20 minutes to ponder what the hell they were looking at. 
in this little 3D model uh, of, of, a, of a clitoris, all right? Which actually looks like a weird paperweight. I mean, if, if, if you just look at this model, you're like, oh, I could use that as a paperweight. Or kind of like a, those back massagers with the little feet. Uh, like, oh, yeah, I could kind of do that on my deltoid muscles. Nope, it's a 3D model of the clitoris. So they had 20 minutes to complete this survey. I'm, I'm just, it's just, uh, yikes. It's so amazed by, by what they found. So the breakdown uh, of people who participated were consultants. Now, for those not uh, familiar with with the uh, European model of healthcare, consultants are attendings. All right, so you have registrars, uh, and then you have consultants, which means that you've done your time. You're now at a supervisory uh, a position of authority. Uh, so that is the European model. All right, so consultants, and they included non-consultant doctors, aka registrars. They included midwives already in practice, medical students. Now, you're like, all right, medical students, at least you think they're going to get this, right? They're clinical. They're on the wars. They've done some kind of anatomy. Surely they're going to get that. And then you have midwifery students, right? And they were divided after they labeled it either into very confident in their response, unsure, or or just not confident at all in how they labeled uh, the, the parts of the the complete anatomy of the clitoris. Okay. Here it comes. No respondents could name all five parts of the clitoris when shown in the model. And 76% could not name any part correctly. Now, what is happening here? Now, guys, this is these are educated folks. These are seen patients. What? I mean, how, I, I mean, what? 38 out of the 50 people, right? 76% could not name any part correctly. I mean, I, I, I'm speechless. I at least get the glands, for heaven's sakes. Once again, brings me back to no wonder 59% of poor women are faking it. If, I mean, they don't even know where the clitoris is. What in the world is happening here? The glands clitoris was named correctly by one medical student, three non-consultant doctors, and three consultants. Uh, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm speechless, honestly. I... I almost had the idea when I read this. I'm like, oh, I should reproduce that here. And then I'm like, I don't even want to know. I don't want to know. I don't, I'm going to get frustrated and it's going to just really make me mad. Um, wow, why is this? And I think a lot of this goes to the fact that, well, dang, it wasn't until 1998 that we knew this anatomy and somebody actually took the time to dissect this. Uh, and it wasn't until 2005 where the MRI actually showed that, well, seen in a cadaver's actually true in a live person um and it's only recently although it was first proposed in the 1990s that the clitoro-vaginal distance actually matters so we're just right now it is kind of exciting i mean we're, we're on the speed path to finally learning stuff about the clitoris uh it's just amazing to me these numbers are are, are crazy the bulb of the vestibule or the clitoral bulbs was named correctly by two medical students two non-consultant health doctors and only one consultant. Um, wild. And so anyway, you got to look at the whole study. I just wanted to tell you the, the most eye-opening part of this. It's a very small study. Uh, I mean, not I mean small in numbers. I mean brief in terms of reading as well. But it really does uh, make this point that we, we are failing our healthcare providers in education regarding normal clitoral anatomy and the sexual response. Uh, and it's unacceptable. Unacceptable. Well, on that note, I think we're going to call it a wrap. Again, we've covered a lot of material here. We even talked about 
uh, Marie Bonaparte. How wild is that, huh? Um, and yes, so it is true. While there's no distinct G-spot anatomy, the concept that the anterior vaginal wall uh, in the distal third of the vagina is intimately tied to the urethra and the clitoris uh, and sexual fulfillment is absolutely right. So again, Gravenberg ahead of his time, Marie Bonaparte ahead of her time. And, and we're learning a lot more. All, my purpose again in doing this is that we need to be able to tell our patients who come in with uh, a complaint of sexual uh, dissatisfaction uh, with partnered intercourse, talk to them about these things. Talk to them about the, the, the distance between the clitoris and the vagina. Talk to them about if they've expressed their concerns to their partner. Of course, making sure that the patient is safe, doesn't have any other psychological issues that are chronic medical conditions, all right? And history of abuse. All of these things are vital. So I hope you found this helpful. I, I was just amazed by the results of this study and, and very disappointed. Uh, and I hope it sheds light. This episode sheds light uh, on something that needs the attention that it should, which uh, is called the mysterious little bean. The clitoris definitely needs to get more love. All right, podcast family, something to think about for sure. As always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community. Oh, one more thing. I'll post all of these, of course. Don't forget about our reference page. I will post that on our Facebook page and also on our new Instagram page. Uh, So make sure that you follow uh, the references there. Again, we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.